Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese. A podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater. And opera, apparently. Yeah, we're doing opera today. It's been a minute. Dude, everyone everyone likes opera with opera with cheese. They so like I it when like... we do cover opera. They those do tend to be surprisingly popular episodes. Um I think I just underestimate the amount of people that love opera out here in, in the podcast sphere. You know what I think? I think nobody else covers opera. I... Um I don't disagree with you, but I also feel like when they do, they do it poorly. And I'm not saying we do it great, but we don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> that is a full sentence. I'm not saying we do it great. <laughs> um, but this is actually a, an opera musical theater piece that is very dear to my heart and has stuck with me for a while. So let's dive into it. Today we are talking about Leonard Bernstein's Trouble in Tahiti. Cue the music. So Trouble in Tahiti is an opera written by Leonard Bernstein and with music and lyrics by Leonard Bernstein, the only piece of theater that he is both the writer, composer, and lyricist for. Um, Even the sequel that he would later make, um, he commissioned out the script and book to be written by someone else. Um, The musical is based loose... uh, The musical is not really based on anything, but fun fact, uh, Leonard Bernstein did write it on his honeymoon. (laughs) That's uh, ironic. Yeah, um, it's based on the relationship between Bernstein's own parents, uh, Sam and Jenny, but the wife's name was changed to be more singable, Dinah. I just find it fascinating that this is his The Fablemans, <laughs> like his little <laughs> Leonard Bernstein's The Fablemans is much less impactful. It's just about them both missing a school play. The work is dedicated to Mark Blitzstein, and Blitzstein and Bernstein were good friends and both alumni of Curtis Institute in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's basically it. The problem is... This show has never been on Broadway or anything like that, and its first performance on June 12, 1952, was at Bernstein's Festival of Creative Arts on the campus of Brandeis University at Waltham, uh, Massachusetts, to an audience of nearly 3,000 people. He wrote it to be basically at the end of the night to like just kind of wrap it all up, but <laughs> everything went long, so this went up at around 11 p.m., and no one really wanted to be there at that point. So Uh it was kind of a depressing thing. He would later revise it and make it better. And it was recorded for NBC's Opera Theater subsequently and was aired on television in November of 1952. Basically a TV special. That was a trajectory back then. 
Um, but the plot of Trouble in Tahiti is, in 1950s suburbia, Sam and Dinah appear to have the perfect life in their white little house. But their growing detachment exposes a mutual feeling that they are trapped in a life that has turned into a lie. So I threw this at you. This has been a back pocket kind of thing for me where I know Andrew's going to have a rough week. So here's something short that we can cover really quickly. What did you think of Trouble in Tahiti? Um, honestly, I was I was impressed. I, I kind of like it. I, I actually thought it was more modern. I, I mean, I, I go into these completely blind. I just watched it, you know. I thought it was maybe a more modern piece that was like criticizing 50s culture. Um, but it turns out it was actually made in the 50s. Like if we made a culture about the 2020s right now. It's really interesting because a lot of the critiques that we have about the 50s are kind of present here. Um, and it's like what specifically? I mean, we're in the Mad Men post like view of the 50s. So what are you thinking of? I, I would be thinking of the fact that like housewives were basically all like secretly depressed and horrible uh lived horrible lives i mean um and even though advertising and all that would portray it as oh it's perfect living in suburbia and blah 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 everyone was just depressed and drugged up and hated their lives (laughs) you know um and it's it's interesting that something written in 1952 kind of portrays exactly that in that way That is interesting. Um, maybe if we're taking like the context in the line that Leonard Bernstein wrote this about his own parents, maybe it's a critique on 1920s culture, and we're just stuck in an endless repeating like pattern of us. Like nothing has changed at all, and yeah. things just keep getting worse. Yeah, and worse, and all of the same problems persist because nothing ever changes. Are you are you saying something? Are you saying something here, Tucker Carlson? I'm just I'm just saying that that might be the world we live in. Um, I'm not saying anything. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> um, it is a fascinating critique, but I feel like it's more a critique on loveless marriages and absentee parents. Sure, they do open with a song about how perfect it is living in suburbia, though. So it's hard to not see that as a critique in a way. I guess. Maybe it's just him trying to work in jazz. Some jazzy, upbeat tunes. I, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's it's funny cutting from the, like, jazzy upbeat uh what i perceive as like an advertising tune like this is an advertisement and then we flash to the real world where they just are immediately bickering and miserable <laughs> I-, I love this show so much because the intensity is always out of 10 <laughs> like it's like a boy like that from west side story <laughs> honestly i think it's it's a type of show that i i've talked about that i don't really like very much which which yes. is like the only thing that goes on is that the, it's just a loveless marriage and they hate each other and that's the whole show. But it being 50 minutes, kind of like, dang, they like, you know, you get the idea and it's over. <laughs> <laughs> no show has wasted least less of my time than this, except maybe Dr. Horrible. So when I say Leonard Bernstein, what does that name mean to you? Um, I feel like I, I would mostly recognize him because I'm pretty sure West Side Story. Yes, he did the music to West Side Story. And he's not known for like writing librettos or even writing his own lyrics. And that's what sets this apart from most of his other work. I think it's both, obviously, his most personal work and the one that is most wholly his. Well, I mean, it, it has to be in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. he wrote everything. Uh, what, what do you think of the lyrics, actually? That's, a, that's an interesting question, because I found <laughs> that there was some stuff that I was like, Jess is probably going to be like, this is weird. <laughs> It is very weird, but he had a very, I, part of me was thinking it was intentional um, because it's very common everyday language heightened to operatic standards of singing, which is, I think, the juxtaposition he was trying to go for, which is opera standard to petty bullshit. But yeah, because opera, like when you, when you hear opera, like, I mean, one, people generally don't even imagine it in English. Which right. <laughs> isn't necessarily true. There's a lot of opera that is in English, but we don't think of that. You always no. think of like, oh, they're singing like Italian. Yeah. They're singing Italian and they're singing about like uh, Greek gods or something. Um, but here, here it is where they're just singing, literally singing advertising songs or talking about the plot of a movie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Or, like, wondering, wait, did I have a thing for my secretary? Nah, let me check with her. Oh, I did? 
Oh no! <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> it's, it's 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 so very interesting. interesting. Um, um, I I wish. How would you pitch this? Like, if you were to like walk up to someone on the street, like, should hey, I got tickets to Trouble in Tahiti, like performing. Uh, can you tell me what it's about? What should I expect? Um, I mean, I think the the simplest thing is that they uh, it's it's a a couple that hate each other, and it's set in the fifties. And really, there's not a ton else to it. I mean, obviously, there's a very simple plot line, which is just like the the wife uh, thinks that the guy is cheating. The guy kind of is cheating, um, but the guy is not even sure if he's cheating. It's weird. I'm not sure about that part. I'm not sure like how we're supposed to take that. Is this? Is it like he's covering his ass? By pretending that he wasn't cheating, or I is think it... that he was like getting accused of like having sexual overtones, and he's like, "No, that's just the way everyone is." I'm gonna call her to make sure. She's like, "Yeah, you kind of have been." He's like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, okay, okay. So, so he he was sexually harassing somebody and is yeah. a man in the fifties, so he didn't realize it. Yeah, he didn't realize that was a not so kosher thing to do. <laughs> yeah, he just he was just like, "No, that's just how you act." You call everyone toots and and slap their butts. That's uh, that's only okay on the football field. Um, <laughs> um, and, and then they, they have a son named Sam, though, that I feel like every like even they forget exists by the end of the show. He just kind of reappears at the end. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, that's a major plot point is that they forget he exists, right? Because that neither of them go to his play. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they both go to a movie instead. Um, which I think says more about Leonard Bernstein and where he felt that their opinion, his parents' focus was. Um, I, I think it's uh, very interesting that there's an entire, like, the name of the show is Trouble in Tahiti, mm-hmm. which is just, I mean, it sounds like, oh, this is going to be like a, a Mary Kate and Ashley, like, there's trouble <laughs> on an, uh, a par- paradise, right? <laughs> Aloha, little man. Problem in paradise? <laughs> but, uh,. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That is not the case. Uh, this is that is the name of a movie that is inside of this that they go and see. And uh, I don't know if these characters have names. They're you, Dinah, you said Dinah and Dinah, Sam. Dinah, right. Dinah goes to see this movie and just fucking hates it. But she describes the entire plot in like a jazzy, upbeat number. Uh, so it's and- really fucking weird. <laughs> um, can I tell a story of where the first time I encountered Trouble in Tahiti? Um, and uh, it's sure. related back to this song, so it's not just me like, I'm gonna go on a tangent in the middle of your your sentence. Um, so I was hired, along with three other videographers, to record an entire um, opera showcase um, in Michigan. And I don't know what's coming, um, So, but we have to do set up all of our cameras and do sound checks during rehearsals. And it's just the mother character out here doing this song, and I'm just like, what the fuck is this? This is weird. I'm excited. And I it got me pumped. And then seeing it in context was even funnier. Because I'm like, how it's, are we going to lead to a lady doing a racist so, vocalization? It's so nonsense. Which, um, which, yeah, there's that weird racist vocalization. But it's almost like, it's like she's doing a thing from a movie within the show. So you don't even know how to feel about it. Yeah, she is. Uh, more recent productions, they all have like title headers, like Act One, blah 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 blah. This one uh, in a production I saw was Scene Seven. Mom sees a racist film, <laughs> which I mean, yes, yes, that is that is what happens. Uh, will not deny that. Uh. Um, <laughs> something is so charming, and sincerely, I think this song. The, I as it's a scene, but what a movie is its unofficial title is one of the catchiest pieces of music i've ever heard what since i first heard it i can hum basically the entire melody from the start and, and it's it, so fucking bizarre because it it's like literally the intro to the song is just her saying that she hates that she hates this movie and then the entire rest of the song is her describing everything that happened in the movie in a really upbeat and like energetic way and then it ends with her saying she hated the movie <laughs> <laughs> like it's so specific like um, there's a legend, if a princess marry white man and rainfall that day, then the white man shall be sacrificed without delay. Like, okay, I've watched this show maybe three times in my life. I can hum that part perfectly. Um, yeah. it is such a convincing, but it is very much describing a very white savior situation of a movie and oh, criticizing a, it. It is a wildly racist premise for a movie. Like, 
I, the fact that the fact that they made it so that she is describing a movie and not just doing this uh, saved this show from being just horrendous. I, I think it's <laughs> aged better because it's honestly, of it. yeah, because it's like now it's like oh shit, they're they're critiquing this. Even though honestly, when they wrote it, I'm not even sure if they were. Uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure he was. Like considering he would so. go on to write West Side Story, I feel like he'd have that's a little true, bit. That's true. Right. Yeah. So he probably was critiquing it. Um, yeah, it's not like this guy is just like uh, uh, some schlub doing weird mommy issues on stage. Which yeah, so, so, but but it does feel even more relevant now because it's like we're looking back at a lot of these movies now and we're like, holy shit, like all of these movies are fucking racist <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> but this feels like such a modern take. Like this opera feels so modern to me and seeing a production today just feels as relevant as it is back then because it's just simply about like a dissolution of a marriage and critiquing racism and it feels like a critique of the 50s despite being written contemporaneously to that time okay again just going back to what i was saying earlier like if you had asked me like without without like me knowing anything else <laughs> if you had asked me when this was written i would have been like two years ago <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk about the idea of short musicals, like short music theater. We've always been big proponents of it. I think this is like one of the only big times that we can really bring it in. Like nothing else like this exists. I mean, this is under an hour. Like we talk about shows that are like, oh, like an hour and a half or like an hour is like very short. This is 50 minutes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Maybe 45, depending on the performance. Like... <laughs> I sincerely think this entire show is as perfect as musical theater can be. <laughs> they, and I'm not saying there's no longer shows that I would rather watch or anything. Oh, yeah. Like no, that, no. This is not like a top tier show anyway. No, no. But this is, but as far as like, should we have more shows like this that are just this like kind of bite sized, like perfect, like contained story, very simple, very pointed? Like, it's, it's a very clear satire. And you get the message from 50 minutes. You don't need to, to waffle on about it for, for two hours, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it nails it, you know? And I, I would love to see more stuff like this. I would too, but I guess we do eventually <laughs> um, have to talk about the longer version of this. There's a longer version of this? Yes. So, Leonard Bernstein um, <laughs> ripped off John Krasinski and made a sequel called A, a Quiet Place. <laughs> <laughs> Did he rip him off in the past? Yeah, he ripped him <laughs> off in the past. They have to be very, very quiet. Um, um, and this one is everything that are the original one. What they were afraid it was gonna be, or it sounds like it would be, and critics lauded it as pretentious and terrible. Um, okay. So here's the premise of that. And in more recent days, they will take the first half of A Quiet Place, then put the elongated flashback that is the entirety of Trouble in Tahiti, then come back to A Quiet Place and form a three-act opera. That sounds like you're taking one of the best aspects of this show and removing it for no reason. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, it's about Dinah's funeral and, you know, the what father... The fuck? And son coming to blows at the mom's funeral, and it's a real bummer. That is a real bummer. And honestly, why would you... Of all the characters to kill off, why would you kill off Dinah? Like, she was... Wasn't she kind of the most interesting character in... Um, I think it's just because he was, instead of trying to make art, he was trying to go to therapy. Oh. And she died in an alcohol-induced car crash. Drinking and driving, very nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's just... A, a real morning, like, oh, my mom's dead kind of story. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that Trouble in Tahiti is, like, upbeat or anything. It's clearly not. I mean, it's, it is about a pretty uh, depressing situation overall, and it doesn't exactly have a happy ending. But I'm this not is sure what it, Like, it's about the dad trying to reconcile with his adult children. It's big fish. It's uh, everything we've seen. At least this is kind of... A little bit more subtle with its abandonment of the child. Yeah, and I, I feel like, what do you gain by having it be about death and, like, that sort of thing? Um, grieving and whatever. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I haven't seen it, because I, I don't want to judge it beforehand. But it doesn't sound like the extension to this show that I would want to see. 
<laughs> the characters aren't depthful enough for I really want to see an extension of their life. It feels like it feels more like this show is just a satire, like just a direct satire to the point where I, I feel like they did name the characters, but they don't even necessarily they didn't even need to really do that. Like it could have just been man, woman, like like 1950s man, 1950s woman, because it really just feels like a satire. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a story. But which, it, it's therapy for the artist, which... True, true. You know, but there's a, there's a difference between what the artist wrote it for and how it is interpreted by everyone watching it. And like, sure, he wrote <laughs> it about his parents in the 20s, but me watching it, all I'm seeing is a satire of the 1950s. <laughs> I mean, it's like The Fablemans, where Spielberg writes a scene at the end of... Have you seen The Fablemans? I haven't. But you can okay. spoil it. I don't give okay, a shit. Okay, okay. <laughs> I just want... I need to know that I'm not the only one that feels this way. Go so, ahead. the film ends with him, like, the Spielberg goes and brings his camera to Senior Skip Day and films everyone, and then he screams it at prom for some reason. And he apparently followed his bully around shirtless at the beach and made it look like an action hero. And he's shirtless at the beach. So I think the film wants to be like, oh, he uses cinema so effectively he made the bully look like a hero because of the magic of cinema. But I'm reading as you're in love with your bully. And yeah, there's a lot of other things like the bully's anti-Semitic and there's a lot more complex issues going on there. But you just show me a video of him following him around shirtless at the beach and just yeah. And then the bully crying in the hallway at him saying, why'd you make me look so good? He's like, I don't know. I I Honestly, I've seen that scene and I, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't figure out what the hell they were trying to do with it. Um and I was like, maybe if I see the whole movie it will make sense, but you just kind of explained explained it and I feel like it doesn't really <laughs> It's a it's a weird movie. <laughs> um I have problems, big problems with the Fablemans, but I don't have those problems with Trouble in Tahiti because it is less self grandizing. I I'm so glad that the child character is not a character in this. And I think the problem with a Quiet Place, even A Quiet Place Part 2, is that the children are at the forefront of that story. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> what? The Quiet Place Part 2. <laughs> you know, A Quiet Place Part 2, Trouble D. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, um, one of my favorite pa- aspects of this is the Greek chorus, like, singing chorus. I think they are, like, the glue that holds this together and makes this a full piece rather than just a, a solo of arias, bunch of arias. I, I really like their implementation. And again, this is my personal interpretation, but every time I see them, I'm like, this is like the characters seeing, listening to the radio or something. Like this is, because one, like, one of their main songs is that they're literally advertising the su- suburbs that the house is in or whatever. Like, they're singing about how nice this house is in the suburbs. Uh, and then, of course, when we go inside the house, the first thing we see is that they hate each other and everyone is miserable. Um, so it, it really does, it, it feels like the uh, Greek chorus is supposed to be like a uh, juxtaposition, in a way, with the actual uh, main characters. I don't, I don't quite see it that way. I think they're just the society reflecting the main characters. Because so? they keep keep setting them up as the perfect family, the perfect well, like their society setting them up as what the world sees them as, and we're seeing what they really are. Maybe that's more what I was trying to say. Honestly, okay, because I do agree with that. Um, because I think what's the frustrating about Bernstein in this is that he is seen by the outside as having this perfect life, and then he sees the strife on the inside and the intricacies and the what what sucks. Um, so you brought up lyrics. They're rough. <laughs> they can be, yeah. Um, there was a portion of the opening number that I was pretty sure they were just speaking gibberish. La da da da. Is that is that? Am I right about that? Yeah, or you was, were I, was I having just a stroke at the scatting. time? Scatting. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you like scatting. I thought it was interesting, but I was like, "What are they doing?" Like, I was half expecting it to be like an experimental piece. Like, this is an <laughs> opera where they're like, it's like a a. a play on music theater like but imagine if there was no lyrics and it just <laughs> you just got the vibes like it was just like we did a it's song that sounds 
Yeah, like, like literally, that's what I was like. I was like, are they doing that for like? And then it, it, they just go back to English, of course. But. But I was like, what the hell's happening? <laughs> so. If we were to try to, what would it be like if we were to try to make our own trouble in Tahiti about the twenty twenties? Replace the like nineteen fifties advertising style uh, songs with uh, TikTok uh, type songs. Ukulele like, apologies. U ukulele apology uh, songs. I feel like the nineteen fifties like uh, you know atomic family. Yeah. Like nu nuclear family. Nuclear family. Uh, um. The 1950s nuclear family that has been sort of replaced for us with this like hustle hustle culture kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love like, the way your brain works, Andrew. Because we like we no longer have this idea of like the American dream is we're gonna start a family in the suburbs with a white picket fence and a yeah. And because two now we like gay dog. people do that, and now it's yeah. ruined it for white people. So now the the American dream is you work. Uh, you know, 25 hours a day every day of your life, and eventually You'll you're die. Elon Musk. <laughs> well, oh well, my god, yours that's... was so much worse than mine. I'd much rather be dead than Elon Musk. <laughs> well, the thing is, people that buy into hustle culture do want to be Elon Musk. Like, so. Um, I think, but, I don't know, I feel like that's just capitalism grinding us to the bone and demanding that we thank you That's what the nuclear family was, though. Like, the nuclear family was an invention by, uh, by advertising agencies to put on billboards, you know, like that, that wasn't a real thing. Uh, and, and I think that this, this show is kind okay. of saying that. <laughs> so it would be about a couple, one of them overworks himself at wall street. Well, what would the, the, the spouse or friend character be? Sadly, I think if you did a 21st century or a 20, uh, yeah, 21st century. century. Yeah. If you did a 21st century version of this, there wouldn't be a couple because they would both be working. <laughs> but there'd somehow be a kid. We're still procreating somehow. That's the other thing, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Should we? Should we is a is a great question. Let's talk about the <laughs> ethics of having children when there's a global climate <laughs> crisis that is about to destroy fucking everything. Oh, buckle your seatbelts, bitches. Andrew's Buckle got in. opinions. <laughs> Well, uh, you thought we were just talking musical theater and hell no, we're taking a dive into politics town. Look, we're talking about trouble in Tahiti, okay? This show has things to say, and it does nothing to do with what I just said. <laughs> I mean, I think Leonard Bernstein would agree with you um, that maybe we shouldn't procreate if we are going to be shitty people. That is kind of what this show is about. <laughs> and all Sam wanted, it meant the world to him that they saw his play, and neither of them saw the play. Neither of them fucking went. <laughs> That is the subtext, the the authorial intent is, mommy and daddy didn't see my play, Mo daddy it, wasn't there. It's worse than that, isn't it? Not only did the mother <laughs> not go to see the play, she went to see a horrible movie that she hated. Twice. She would rather go see a movie that she hates two times than go see <laughs> Okay, the modern play. one, the modern one. <laughs> she had to see The Flash. <laughs> And there's a Batman, and he helps him save the day, but then there's suddenly another Batman from a different universe that comes. So the Flash has to run and a run, and he's running. Trouble in the multiverse. <laughs> I just, okay, well, now we gotta make trouble in the multiverse. Um, we have to do the modern trouble to I mean, I feel like we have some good ideas already here. I think, I mean, we, we, we've come up with some stuff here. If you want to know a film that is like the antithesis to everything of uh, art and a representation of hustle culture before uh, thinking, it's the Flash movie. Um, I have not paid to see it, but I did um, yo-ho um, some, some, most of the film. And yikes, that film is literal gibberish. Uh, I saw the trailers. And that was enough for me. Um, I was like, I've seen enough. I don't want to see any more. <laughs> you made the right call. It might be 
the worst film I've ever seen since Joker 2019. I've got to say, I like I know that there's like one or two exceptions, but DC really just pumps out trash, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the exceptions are the ones that are taking over. Like, I really like the Suicide Squad. The second one, though, not yes, the, the first not, one, because the, the first one was was garbage. Yes, that that was <laughs> incomprehensible. It was barely a movie. It might as well be a TikTok. You realize that not only will DC continue to pump out garbage, but it's going to get worse because now there are no writers and no actors. <laughs> Let's talk about the strike for a minute. I know, I know that it's trouble in Tahiti time, but. The day we're recording this, the Screen Actors Guild just announced that they are going on strike alongside the Writers Guild. Yes. <laughs> what a fucking nightmare. This is, I, I t- retweeted this, but just a context that I know Andrew is going to love so much. Um, do you know the last time this happened? Oh, God. I think I saw something, but just go ahead. I, I don't remember. Um, the last time both the SAG and WGA were on strike, um, not only was Eisenhower still president, but the actors' union was led by noted organizer and socialist brrr, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Ronald Reagan went on strike. Yes, he was like known for his socialist beliefs and led the union into the strike. He was doing the Fran Drescher thing. Damn, he really did get brain damage somewhere along the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever what happened, happened to that guy? What happened? I think the Red Scare happened, and then he turned in a lot of friends. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, how about we go into a (laughs) mid-show? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but we've got a shill at you. Today's show is brought to you by the extremely kind donations by our donors over at Patreon. Patreon's this beautiful place where you can get, um, a lot of cool stuff, including Patreon meetups. Hopefully we're going to be doing one uh, a little bit this week, um, this month, um, as well as a lot of other cool stuff. Our current patrons are Melissa Goldman, Danielle Rennix, Jessica Stampede, Ewan Cassidy, Monica Throw, Brent Black, Nathaniel Stacey Coombe, Joseph Evans Green, Mary Lou Showcat, John Van Alves, Russ Walker, Musical Hell, Emily Gracie, Kyle Summers, Janae C, Scoot the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Liz Lim, Nothing is Certain Except Beth and Taxes, Thesbian, Jessica T, Mitchell Young, Chai Teacup, Katie McDonough, Chris Marcote, Kiji Marie Anastasio, Layla, RJ Narija, Bjorn Herman, Toriana Frazier, Sammy, The Adequate Amount, Jacobson, Lyanna Morton, 
Kaylee Blazier, Cinema Again Reviews, Villainous Mist, Sor- Sofiane Ali, The Omega Geek, Paige Pearson, Maddie Wargle, Alisa Erdman, Anna Loskatova, Sarah Dunblecker, Evan Ball, Zachary Torres, Rora Morasso, Mara Forloin, Captain Rodtastic, Lisa L., Possessed Washing Machine, Renee Thomas, Nick Roden, Puffy Boy, Summer, Julia Hardy, Jay Kusia, Caitlin Bridgman, uh, Sydney Hicks, and Beal and Billy Clifton. They all give us a little extra finance support that helps us keep the lights on here, Musicals with Cheese. Come join them. Be cool like them. I'll love you slightly more. All right. Anything? Oh, yeah. Monica Thoreau, our $100 patron. Um, wants to remind you to please get your eyes checked and don't go to sleep with your contacts in. That is uh, what she wants us to say every week. Andrew, any opinions on that? Do you, do you ever wear eyeglasses? No, I don't but I hear that you do and you often fall asleep with your contacts in. I've never fallen asleep with my contacts in. You, you told me that you can't get them out sometimes. That is different. <laughs> <laughs> um, they get stuck in the inside of my eye and then I have to like wash it out with like an actual like water hose in my shower. It eventually comes out. Um, contacts are a son of a bitch. Okay, let's get back to the show. <laughs> I really, really enjoy the the. We already brought up the jazzy preludes, but every time they come in, it both feels like a classic musical theater as opposed to opera. Lovely day, lovely life, happily married, sweet little son, family picture, second to none. It's a wonderful life, hot to kitchen, washing machine, colorful bathrooms, and life magazine, and a little white house in Brooklyn. There's a couple songs that do feel very much more music theater than opera. Yeah. But the, the stuff that connects them is what makes it really, the whole show feels like an opera more so, though. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just, like, I feel like he's still working within his musical theater tricks. And I know, mus- like, musical theater was barely a genre at this point. Um, it is yeah, 1950. Ju- like, what, what's out at this point? Like, Let's take a look. 1952 Tony Awards. Was that even a thing? I th- don't know. See, this period, um, it is the sixth Tony Awards that the year. The sixth. Oh, my goodness. Um, let's see. What was it? The King and I was the big musical that year. Okay. So it existed. Like, yeah, musicals were still pretty, pretty new, but doing all right. Wow. Yeah, The King and I was the big one that year. Um, yeah, this didn't get no love. Um, and uh, I Am a Camera, the... Sh- the- play that cabaret would be based on um was being nominated for uh tony's that year look at that Um, a little peek into the future a little peek into the future um but yeah so musical theater was a brand new genre and he's using those tricks through opera um where the operatic piece is is the most mundane shit in the world like are you going to sammy's play i'll try wait no i can't i have to go to the gym you in that gym things it's almost like things are flipped in a way like the uh Like the mundane stuff that probably should have been more music theatery is like opera, and then the the stuff that's more like um, bigger, like more uh, epic in a or way, or stylized even. Yeah, like because cause like uh, I would say the song where she describes the plot of the movie is kind of music theatery. Yeah, um, and that one is you know about this like grand adventure, which is something that you usually hear as an opera, like because those are usually mm. about like gods and and myths and things. So, but then when we get into just like, oh, my secretary, it is like, <laughs> it's imagine the intensity of a boy like that from West Side Story with the stakes of just the opening scenes of West Side Story where it's just the brother and sister talking. Oh, Mr. Partridge. I'm perfectly fine, thank you. She's well. Yes, exactly what I want to speak to you about. With things as they are, I cannot see how you could ask me again. Now, Mr. Partridge. Yes, I know all that. You've already said that. Ah, but that's just why I have to refuse you. No. No. Yes, I was sure you would finally see it my way. No trouble at all. 
I mean, the stake is the stakes are literally just did I do something creepy? Uh, it's like it's like a, a meeting with HR, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and your wife saw a movie. <laughs> Those are the stakes. Yeah. Uh. Um. So, and here's the thing: the, all the songs kind of blur together for me. Like aside from the movie one, which feels like a very distinct scene, all the rest of them kind of flow into each other. Well, it's kind of like an opera in that way where it is just kind of yes. um, sung through and everything kind of flows together except for there are these moments of real song. But the interesting thing about it, though, is that the moments of song are, are most of them except for what a movie, I would say, are done by the uh, chorus. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, did you feel any pathos or emotional connection to these two? Like, when when they're singing their hearts out, it's not about, like, what they want or their regrets, really. It's just about... I, what... I mean, I, I felt that they both hated each other. And that was about all I got from them. Like, I didn't feel, like, sad for either of them, really, or anything like that. It was more just like, goddamn, they hate each other. <laughs> um, yeah, but along with a lot of musicals that are about, like, Broken families, next to normal, fun home, um, to a certain extent, um, Kimberly Akimbo. This feels entertaining. <laughs> like, I know it's like, like, but this feels very much trying to entertain us and never loses that. It, yeah, I think a, a big part of it is the fact that they have these upbeat music theater numbers that come back in that are not really um, about the same stuff, you know? Mm hmm. Um, I got a question for you. What's that? If you had to cast this musical with internet celebrities, who would you put in the two roles? Um, Doug Walker as the man, and uh, Colleen, what's her name? Ballinger. As the woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, not a real answer, but I'm still gonna go with it. No, we're sticking with that. Um. <laughs> And we're going to turn what a movie into a ukulele song. Ugh. And they both have to apologize by the end. Talk about Certainly us. Certainly, I'm ready to hear. Open and candid. Whatever you say. Where to begin? That's up to you. Uh, and this is me interpolating. Leonard Bernstein had a weird past and a weird relationship with both men and women. Um, okay. Uh, he is in musical theater. He is very much a theatrical guy, but he's also a bit often hard to work with. Um, and he, I feel like everything that he represents his father as going to the gym, having a real normal nine to five, schmoozing with ladies, that that was not him. <laughs> so it, it's more like in critiquing his own father, he is critiquing manhood in general. And I think that's a lot of it. I'm thinking of it as a personal connection to the writer to this one thing, which also says something about society's representations of this one thing as a whole. I mean, a lot of this in it, it, a lot of what we've been saying, I think, is that this is almost just a a accidental perfect satire. Like, <laughs> you know, like he didn't mean it to be and he didn't write it to be one, but it kind of just is. <laughs> I, or maybe just all good work is also commenting on the society around it, whether it's yeah, intended to is, or not. It's this isn't just commenting though. This is like direct critique of like very particular elements, you know, like from the start, you're directly critiquing uh, the nuclear family life in suburbia, um, saying like, "Oh, it's perfect, it's perfect," like all of our billboards and our advertisements say, and then immediate like undercutting of that. No, it's not. They hate each other. And then you have like songs about very particular parts of it, like being a housewife sucks ass, being a man has all of these uh, like rules that we have to follow. Um, racist movies exist. 
<laughs> and that's like, our escape. Our escape from this is into these racist movies because that's all we've got. Yeah, so it, it it it's less it, it feels like less of just well all art comments on society and more like direct satire of very particular things with examples, <laughs> you know? Like uh I, I don't know. That's it it really feels like he accidentally made like a very sharp satire to me. You know the closest <laughs> that as far as I'm concerned of dealing with an actual one-to-one of parents to individual, a strange loop. This feels very much akin to a strange loop in how him critiquing his own familial relationships critiques the society around it as a whole. It's true. Which, And he also com- comments on like the media that they consume with Tyler Perry like representing very it, th- racist depictions. You're actually kind of dead on. This actually, you're, you're kind of dead on. Is this like... The template for a strange loop? Like a strange loop is incredible, and I think it's yes. probably better than this and, and more Agreed. relevant today. But is this like the 1950s <laughs> a strange loop somehow? <laughs> I think that is the way we should sell this. If we're like hired to produce a new production of Trouble in Tahiti, we we promote it as the the original strange loop. I, I feel like it's sort of offensive to do that. No, it's hundred percent offensive to. to do that. But I think like genre wise. Now that I'm thinking about it, like they are kind of like in the same place in a way. The only thing that a strange loop tackles that this doesn't really tackle, mostly because I feel like he would be afraid to just for the cultural standards, is the sexuality and all that that I know Leonard Bernstein was going through and dealing with at the time. Um, I, that- I think that the time period like just prevents him from doing that entirely, though. I don't think this yeah. could get aired on like television, which it did. <laughs> If, if he had done that, obviously. But is there some sexual subtext in this? Like, I, I, I would almost argue that the complete lack of sexual subtext is sexual subtext in the sense of a satire of the 1950s. Like, where is the sex? We don't talk about it. <laughs> well, it depends on which 1950s media we're embracing, because like Mad Men, it's everyone's fucking... James Bond, like one of the most iconic mid 20th century pieces of media is all about sex. True, true. But when we talk about like what it means to be like the American dream, like family there, it's all like completely and and literally whitewashed, you know, like uh, it it doesn't exist. It's, It's interesting. That is to say, though, this this does not have any like sexual subtext outside of just the, the oh. HR meeting that he goes to. Yeah. <laughs> that he sets up for himself. <laughs> Imagine you getting a, like, I need to go see HR. Just puts on a different hat. <laughs> you can't be doing that. Okay. Did I, did I do something fucked up? Yeah, nah. you did. I, no, oh, no, no way. No, no, I did. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> I'm fired. <laughs> Ah, you're rehired. We forgive you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so actual question. I asked you a joke question the first time. Unlimited money. Who would you cast in these roles if you were given like a chance to do this production with the assumption they could sing it? Yeah, I mean, them being able to sing it is huge because, like, not not many people are going to be able to sing those high parts, uh, <laughs> or, <laughs> or really the low, low parts, parts either. Yeah. Um, you know I'm terrible with actors. I, I really don't know who I would cast. This is more of a you question, really. Sure. Okay. Um I mean, do I mean, you the- have like do you have like a casting ready? I would probably like 
the easy answer would be Josh Groban because, you know. Josh Groban, I, I think, would do a fine job. I don't think it's really something he would do, though. <laughs> no. Although, then again, he's in Sweeney Todd right now, so maybe maybe he's wanting to break out of that mold a little bit. You know what? I'd do Norm Lewis, maybe. I think he'd be a good choice, a little different. And I'd probably try to update it. So what would be the modern family? Because I know we got the setting of 1952, but what would be the modern version of this? Um, so maybe... Maybe Roger McDonald, just because I like hearing her sing, and I feel like those two would look good together. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. Just vocally, I want this now. I, I think that there's uh, a lot of potential in this. I, I do hope it's still being performed. Um, yeah. I feel I like was... the version you sent to me was was a bit of a newer one, so... Yes, that was. That was, I believe, the National Theater production. Yeah. Don't have issues with more modern productions, but I feel like when they're trying to make it too modern, like, I feel like this doesn't need a set. I, I'm not. I, I'm not like opposed to having like small amounts of sets, but it really doesn't need much. Yeah, I feel like this is a good pairing with like a 90 minute musical, just to kind of give a little bit of an extra bit of fun at the end. I feel like this is a good like appetizer or dessert for an evening. I don't think it's a full evening in and of itself. Way the way I saw it, it was like paired with a Gershwin concert as well. Yeah, I I think that that would be great and it would be well worth the money. Because obviously, the part of the reason these type of shows don't get put on is because no one's going to pay $150 to go see 50 minutes of a show when you could pay the same amount to go see two hours. <laughs> but it's impressive. Like, most of this is more vocally impressive than a lot of the shows on Broadway. Of course. But I, it's a lot of opera, isn't it? Like, opera yeah. is more about showing and, off the vocalists. And, you know, the orchestrations. Like, this, you kind of need a big band to be able to pull this off. But this is such an interesting opera and so different from what you would usually see in that space. Like what so, other operas we've covered with like Pirates of Penzance and the Magic Flute. It's not really yeah, the same category. It really isn't. Like Pirates of Penzance is probably the closest, but that's just because that's almost like a proto-musical. Whereas this is actually more of like a true opera that just has like a couple of musical theater numbers thrown into it in a way. <laughs> Andrew, what is your overall thoughts on Trouble in Tahiti and your cheese rating? I mean, I was very positive here, and <laughs> I, I did really enjoy it. Of course, it was it was uh, on the short side, so you know, I I like that type of it's thing. It's a I satisfying like... chode. <laughs> yeah, it's short but fat and dense. There, yeah, what what he said. Uh, <laughs> no, I. It's it's very good. I'm not saying it's it's perfect or anything, but like for what it is, it's good. And and honestly, the fact that it was made in the 50s is impressive to me. It's like it's so uh, prescient, I suppose, uh, is the word like they knew like he somehow maybe he didn't know, but he somehow perfectly uh, encapsulated a lot of the ideas that we still hold about that era now <laughs> um, back in. This is early 50s. This was before it even the whole thing had happened. You know, this is 52. <laughs> yeah, this is it might as well be the 40s. Yeah, like and, and he he pretty much perfectly uh, encapsulates everything that we think about that now in in this show. So very good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, as far as a cheese rating, you got to give it like a because you because you said short and fat. Uh, I have to give it something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So, give it a cheese wheel. Oh yeah, cheese wheel would be good. Those are short and they're fat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll give it a cheese wheel. I don't know what type of cheese. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with mozzarella just because it's a classic. I don't know if they even make cheese wheels for mozzarella, but we're gonna pretend they do. And if they don't, fuck it, I give it it anyways. Um, you know what? That's fair enough. I also really, really love. Um, this show, this show, I have a very so big soft spot for, um, I, I can't even describe why I do. Um, it's just very specific. And I think the score, we didn't really harp on this is gorgeous. Like it is one of the more beautiful, more epic sounding, more big scores out there for such a short. No, musical. of course it has a full orchestra behind it. So it's kind of, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's cheating in a way, but <laughs> like imagine just a ukulele and a couple like instruments it would not work as well at all um but i'm gonna give this dinah's cheese from kurtwood farms in seattle um because 
Dinah is the name of the mother, and she dies in a quiet place. Part two. <laughs> Trouble in Tahiti. Part two. A quiet place. Part two. Starring Killian Murphy. Him. Jesus Christ. I can't believe he called it a quiet place. <laughs> <laughs> About his mom's death and having to reconnect with his dad, Sam, who might have been fucking the secretary. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll talk about that in full some at some point. But maybe, I but I just end. don't have particular interest. I don't really want to ruin this perfect thing it's to me. It's true. It's true. Like, this is such a good, like, and I feel like especially if we watched it where it's sandwiched, like, that would yeah. totally ru- would completely ruin it. Like, a worse musical at the start and then an even worse musical at the end. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, here's the thing you liked sandwiched between two pieces of crap. <laughs> is there any other movie that's like that? Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Garbage Day! Huh? No! You're right. That is such a good fucking pull. My brain was telling me things like Hook, where I think the beginning is fantastic and the end is fantastic, but it's got so much dog shit in the middle. No, I mine is perfect. I nailed it. You you nailed it. That example. My God. Um, (laughs) Silent Night, Deadly Night is a really unsettling film too. It's actually pretty decent. Like it really, it really isn't a bad movie. But then it got memed to death because of Garbage Day. Well, that's the second one, though. But that's the thing. The second one ruined it. Yeah. It legitimately, it's it, it sandwiched it between... It was the quiet place of horror movies. It literally sandwiched, like, a pretty... Like, it, it's not, like, amazing. It's, like, a pretty okay movie between two pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, man. Is there any sequels to horror films that you think are really as good as the original? Well, I mean, yeah. If you're counting, like, slasher movies, I would definitely say say yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of those, like, like Friday the 13th is pretty shitty, right? Like, it doesn't really even get good until, like, the fourth one. <laughs> I mean, I think the twist of the first one is enough to make that film good for me. I, just, I like the first one a lot, but it is, it's, it's rough. <laughs> uh, but Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon does make it, though. I'm actually a fan of the second one, too, because uh, they kill that little dog, Muffin. Um <laughs> I, I remember a thousand years ago, this is a true story, Andrew made the mask from the second Friday the 13th yes. movie, and he sent me videos of him dancing to Just Dance in the I Freddy- I wish I could find or that. The Jason- Do you still have those? <laughs> I don't know, but I know that I, you sent that to me. I, I thought those were fucking funny as hell, and I wish I still had them. <laughs> I just think about that. Whenever I think about young Andrew, I think of him dressed as Jason from the second Friday, or Friday the 13th movie. Specifically the second one. Yeah, where like, he had like the bag head, which is honestly still my favorite Jason. That's that's how he should be. You don't like Jason X while he, when he's in space, dude. That one sucks ass. <laughs> you don't like. They didn't the even w- meet the Muppets up there. <laughs> you, you didn't like the one where it's not really Jason, but like some mortician guy. I haven't seen that one, but I cut. Part of me thinks that I would like it just because it's so fucking like dumb. Tarantino <laughs> thinks that's like secretly the best one and people would love it if it were if it weren't for the fact that it wasn't Jason. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that is true, because a lot of horror fans, they don't really care about the right stuff, really. They're just like, <laughs> it wasn't Jason. That's so dumb. <laughs> Michael Myers isn't in Halloween three. I'm going to go cry on the Internet, even though Halloween three is like probably better than half of the fucking franchise. <laughs> it is better than most of the fucking franchise. <laughs> Have you seen Halloween Ends? No, I haven't. I think it might be like the second best Halloween movie. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I fucking loved it. Wasn't the one before that like complete shit? Yes, it was. Um, It absolutely was. The one before that one was pretty okay as well, though. That one was okay. Okay, can I (laughs) Uh, keep all this in? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Halloween Ends spoilers for this movie because it is the most fun i've ever had watching a movie in a very long time okay um, miranda and i watched it the night it came out it opens with on the night that michael is out killing people and you think oh no michael myers is gonna stop this boy babysitter and babysitting this kid no the boy babysitter accidentally kills the kid um <laughs> That's actually great. That's a and great twist. They accidentally too, yeah, not even yeah. on purpose. Yeah, he like opens the door and the kid falls down a set of stairs and just snaps his neck. Um, but oh, it's like—is he... it like—is uh, it like hereditary? Do they do it like that? 
it's a great. little bit broader because it makes a comedy neck breaking noise when the kid Aww. falls. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but he's like seen as basically it, as it cuts to Michael Myers and they play the the trombones. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> But he is seen as just as bad as Michael Myers in this town, and he basically becomes a recluse, and he's like, all of his college prospects because are destroyed. Because they think that he did it on purpose. Yes, and they think that he is just another Michael Myers, and eventually, self-fulfilling prophecy, he and Michael Myers just start killing people together. <laughs> and, <laughs> they team up? <laughs> yeah, and until eventually, that kid starts taking over for Michael Myers, wearing the mask as him. Because Michael Myers is an old fucking man, so this kid can actually complete kills and make them actually threatening. Um, and it's just a really good, like, passing the baton, except you have a character you actually kind of care about, and he is in this killing mode, and you get why he's murdering people, and he's murdering bullies and all this. Um, it's like Christine mixed with Halloween, and it's just such a bonkers, its own film kind of thing. Now it makes perfect sense why people fucking hated it, too. Because it's a good movie and an idea. I remember people saying that it was bad. And like I just said, horror fans care about the wrong shit. They're just like, it wasn't really Michael Myers. This is so lame. <laughs> and he just wants to start this kid. And he's giving a fucking good performance, this guy who's playing. I, I am baffled that no one else liked this movie because it is. And it's got a John Carpenter score like he and his son composed it. It is one of the better horror films I've seen okay. in a very long yeah, time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm watching that soon. That's that's on the list. Anyways. Yeah, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Spotify doesn't exist. Or, sorry, Stitcher doesn't exist anymore. Spotify's still kicking somehow. Um, guys, on follow Twitter. us on Threads. <laughs> we, we do have a Threads. The Musicals oh, with Cheese does have a thread, so follow us there. Oh, you, promote it. Let me, like... Yeah, we're on I, Threads. I feel like Twitter, Twitter will be gone in a couple months. We'll see. Sincerely, I like Threads better because it lets me keep Musicals with Cheese as my username, and Twitter did not let me do that. So, fuck Twitter. My, my only problem with Threads right now is I just can't find the content that I want, like the people that I want to follow yet, because I think a lot of them haven't moved over from Twitter yet. Um, th I liked it because Instagram just automatically gave you your followers from Instagram and let you follow the people you Sadly, were following on Instagram. I didn't have any followings on Instagram because <laughs> I, I don't you. use that. I don't use Instagram, so <laughs> uh, that's fair. Um, but yeah, we're on Patreon, musicals, cheese, Instagram, musicals, cheese, threads, musicals with cheese, YouTube page, musicals with cheese, uh, Patreon only podcast, Patreon with cheese. Email us to tell us stop talking about horror films. You're a musical theater podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, at musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. Our keeper of the cheese is Juliet Antonio. Here's some ASMR for you, Juliet. Halloween ends is pretty good, and y'all are just mean. This show is edited by Andrew DeWolf, and if that didn't make sense, burn him. He cut a whole lot of gold out. Um, I'm not cutting the Halloween stuff. That that's cool. gold because uh, that that flows naturally <laughs> from the uh, incredible Silent Night Deadly Night conversation. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, God, I wish I sincerely wish it was earlier in the night so I could just watch Halloween Ends with you right now. Um, thank you to the Broadway Podcast Network for having us on the platform and for not kicking us off for spending about a third of this episode talking about horror movies. Um, all right, Andrew. Anything else left to say? This episode is 20 minutes longer than. Trouble in Tahiti, so if you had time to listen to this, you should have listened to Trouble in Tahiti. <laughs> he Sorry. makes... <laughs> he makes good points. Um, we'll see you next time on Musicals with Cheese. There's a legend, if a princess marry white man on a rainfall that day, then the white man shall be sacrificed without delay. Sure enough, on the night of their wedding day, there's a storm like nothing on earth. Tidal waves and sicaros and hurricane, and to top it all off, a volcano erupts, and the natives sing, ah, <laughs> away! <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.